0: fit toys
1: welcome to episode 664 with my guest stevie c is one of my support group buddies and uh covered a lot of stuff in this hour-long conversation and um i just i love having somebody on as a guest that um i don't know how to describe it well you know what you'll listen to the interview and at the end of it you go oh that's what he was trying to say So how you doing? Huh? I was just on the phone with somebody and I asked him, how's he doing? He goes, I don't know. I was like, you know, a lot of times I don't know how I'm doing. And I kind of panic when somebody asks me because I don't want to be dishonest, but I don't know what the truth is. We are up to 775 Patreon supporters. We're halfway towards our goal of uh, 1,500 Patreon supporters, which will help this podcast break even. Um, Could really, really use your support if you are able to help us. Other ways you can help the podcast, you can tell your friends about it. Share stuff on social media about it. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a nice review and a nice rating. The world is your oyster. That's what I'm saying. We had a nice Zoom group uh, hangout this Sunday. We do a, uh, for the people that are at the $20 and above Patreon uh, monthly donation, um, we do a weekly Zoom hangout. We usually average about 20 people, and um, we talked about... Having difficult conversations, especially with family members, and uh, such an important topic. And then the other thing that we talked about is where we could own our shit more in our lives. And I think a lot of times that's a that's that's something that we avoid going into because we kind of want to just focus where we're, you know, being disrespected or somebody's bugging us because they're not owning their shit but there's one thing I've learned in support groups is it's if you want to be a more peaceful person you got to find out where you need to own your shit and uh, and change this is from the struggle in a sentence survey this is filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself cat mom of three about her alcoholism and drug addiction, she writes, I'm trying to be invisible while being highlighter yellow. That's a good one about her PTSD frozen while feeling like I'm grasping onto a melting icicle. Thank you for that. That's that's quite the visual. Where's my garbage can? Oh, it's over there. Oh, by the way, uh, about this podcast, uh, this is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. Forgot to mention that. And the, the website for this show is metalpod.com. And metalpod also the social media handle you can find us at. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey. This is filled out by Anxiety Puddle. And uh, she writes, uh, Today the voice in my head is playing the greatest hits. You are not good at your job and it's only a matter of time before a huge mistake you've made unknowingly comes to light and you get fired. Also, I like that there's that, that the voice in your head is like, I'm not finished. <laughs> also, you are incapable of doing anything else because you're unqualified and are therefore destined to always do this type of financial and administrative grunt work that you suck at. You've squandered all other options by being mediocre since birth. Yes, it started from day one, and you should be held responsible for every failure and mistake, even the ones you made as a child. Nothing that happened to you is an excuse for how lazy, negative, and insufferable you turned out to be. Your life is a trap, a hamster wheel, a fight to stay above water, and it always will be because that's what you deserve. Oh, and also... You look old now, and your friends don't like you. Don't text them. You just look pathetic. Oh, my God, would you be a good guest. Thank you for that. And you know that I'm laughing with you, not at you. Uh, I mean, there is no question that the voice in your head would thrive as a drill sergeant in the Marines. This is uh, from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and... This was filled up by Nunya, which I assume is short for Nunya Business. And uh, they write, I have some questions for Gracie. Number one, favorite treat? Uh, Jerky bites. Number two, does Paul cry on you a lot? Gracie said, let's put it this way, I own a poncho. Number three, favorite TV show? Gracie said, anything but Lassie. That's a bunch of bullshit, a stereotype, and Collies suck. Four, does Paul practice his jokes on you? Gracie said, I think it's obvious he doesn't run any of them by anyone. And number five, how do you cope? To which Gracie replies, I try to remember we are all made of stardust, that time is a construct, an illusion, and energy never dies. It merely changes form. We are all connected. And I try to not take it personally that compared to yours, our food sucks. I hope that answers your questions. And then Bernadette sent me an email asking to hear Gracie's loves. And so I kind of had to pry them out of Gracie because she's kind of a private person. You would think being as uh, clingy as she is, but I guess what I'm saying is, uh, she plays she plays her cards close to her chest. And she does play cards. Oh, she's good. Gracie, uh, these are Gracie's loves. And she shared these with me. So uh, these are her words. Taking a poop in thick, tall grass and watching you try to pick it up. When my sad face works and you give me a second treat. Days where you never leave the house and I don't have to face my abandonment issues. When we come home from the vet and I get to give you the silent treatment. Shaking my collar during your podcast to remind you who calls the shots. When my breath is both sweet and rotten. When you forget to bring poop bags and I lay one down while people are watching and you fake like you're picking it up modal jazz a long nap to reset my attitude when i'm being chased by zombies and i realize i'm actually dreaming pizza crust sweet sweet pizza crust when visitors tell you they want to take me home and you're reminded that you take me for granted squirrels on the one hand i root for their extinction but i also know They kind of define me and help me feel useful. I love when the bowl is mostly wet food. And meeting a new dog, putting our faces right alongside each other's and making everybody worry that we're going to fight. This is from the fears survey again by our friend Cat Mama of Three. She writes, "I'm afraid I wasn't worth marrying. I love my husband and I love our life together. I haven't met my professional goals yet, and he has always supported me. I just still feel inadequate. My fear is that he would leave me because I would, because I would, if the roles were reversed, which makes me feel horrible. That's a, that's a nice little M.C. Escher." Loop you got going there? Thank you for that. And um, yeah, that must be kind of fucking with your head if you feel like. Well, I would, I wouldn't hang around. But who knows? Maybe if the roles were reversed, you would feel differently. This episode is sponsored by Blissy. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I like a nice pillowcase. I like one that, that breathes, where I don't wake up with my pillowcase soaked, and uh, you get a nice, cool, temperature-regulating silk pillowcase when you when you use Blissey. It's 100% mulberry silk pillowcases, and do not confuse satin with silk. Satin is man-made and nowhere near as cool and as soft and as luxurious as silk blissy silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market they have a ton of different prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone men love them too they have over 1.5 million raving fans and you could be next try now risk free for 60 nights at blissy.com/mental and get an additional 30% off that's Blissy, B-L-I-S-S-Y dot slash mental and use the code mental to get an additional 30% off. Sleep cooler this summer with Blissy. And then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by sentient potato. I believe we've read uh, some of her surveys before and her awful moment uh, in 2004, I've been married for three years to my abusive and narcissistic ex-husband when he decided to take me to Vegas for a week. Joining us was his recently recovering alcoholic mother. How could that go wrong? Upon arriving at the hotel, jet lag got the best of me and I made the mistake of falling asleep. It's, It's pretty rare that you hear, I made the mistake of falling asleep. Oh, you're so irresponsible, sleeping when your body's tired. When I woke up, I discovered that my ex-husband had squandered every last dollar we had, both on hand and in the bank, around $4,000. We were left with no money for food, except for what we could persuade his mother to provide. Meanwhile, keeping tabs on her was a challenge because she seized the opportunity to exchange sex for drugs with strangers. Uh, that she'd met on the Las Vegas Strip. I want to make it clear that I hold no judgment towards sex work, but I found myself in a terrifying situation where my safety was of no concern to the two individuals dragging me around. I could recount every dreadful experience on that, quote, vacation, unquote, but one memory stands out vividly. I stumbled upon a nickel on the floor near the nickel slots. By some stroke of luck, I won two dollars, And I promptly rushed up the stairs to McDonald's to buy two double cheeseburgers. It turned out to be the best part of my whole vacation. My consciousness might be disintegrated. Heavy-weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. And moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. With my Barbies. (laughs) the greatest source of our suffering ordinary is where all the good stuff happens is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions is
0: very hard to heal in dark isolation i developed compassion it is in connection and community where that happens
1: the process was nearly unbearable like i'm gonna have to kill myself we'll be right back after this (laughs) i'm here with my buddy stevie stevie c
0: we've known each other how long started going to the rooms uh two thousand and eleven so okay. it's going on twelve years yeah. yeah uh we've been through a lot of shit together yes we have yeah and you so- go ahead you've shown up for me a bunch of times I really appreciate it ditto buddy ditto
1: um Stevie always calls and checks in on me when i when I share in a meeting and I'm like oh, I'm going through it i you <laughs> you you follow up and you yeah. and you check in on me and that means a lot to me.
0: Uh, you do the same for me, and that's what we do in that support group. Uh, yeah, we look out for each other. It's really cool to have. Uh, so some background on you. You're how old? I'm 54. I turned 54 in February.
1: Dude, you look great for 54. Thanks, I try. You look at least uh, 53? 53, <laughs> maybe 53 and a half. Now, you really do look good, and you—, and you uh, Move physically for for your job. You're a caddy. You've been a caddy for a long, long time. Yeah, 10 years now. You love your job. Love it. Love it. Love getting out there. Love the game of golf.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm out in the sun, keeping me in shape. You know, I work four and a half hours a day. Very flexible schedule. I'm an independent contractor, so I work as much or as little as I like. So it affords me a a very flexible schedule. Yeah.
1: yeah. So some of your personal stuff uh you you grew up
0: in a house you grew up in florida uh i was born in england i lived there till i was 10 and then uh my mom's best friend moved to miami so we right. followed suit so when i was 10 years old the family moved to florida and you want to talk about a culture shop <laughs> small english village to where everybody knew each other to downtown miami in the late 1970s my head was fucking spinning did you like it or hate it? In the beginning I didn't like it mm-hmm. because I was just not used to it, you know, I was a new kid with the funny accent and stuff like that, but I got to like it. I think there's uh more opportunities over here for you know, in in the states rather than in England at the time anyway. So how long did it take you to to uh, lose your accent? Well, it still comes and goes, you know what I mean? If I'm around English people, no, it took uh probably 2 or 3 years. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly kids adapt it, with language. Yeah, They're... my mom was was here for 40 years and she sounded like she left yesterday. It was yeah. there but for kids you're right, we we pick up new uh accents quick and mine was probably by the time I was 13 or 14 it was gone. Uh we're going to talk a, lo- a little further down the road. We're going
1: to talk about the panic attacks okay. that, that you started having recently just surfaced in your fucking
0: first time ever. At, uh, at what age? Uh, fifty. It was November thirtieth, twenty twenty, twenty twenty of uh, the COVID twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah it, it popped off there, the first time ever.
1: Let's talk. Let's let's start from. Um, like your earliest memories of, of your your family, uh, you know, you've shared with me and with our group about some of the chaos and the physical violence.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Puerto Rican father that was born in Spanish Harlem in New York, uh, joined the Air Force, was 27 years in the Air Force, went to England to retire, met my mom, uh, just as long as I can remember... Uh, very violent household. My mom towards my dad, my dad towards my mom, my mom towards me. I, for some reason, I have two brothers, older from my mom's previous marriage and then I have my sister Monique from my mom and dad's marriage super close to my sister. Uh, my brother David's in prison and I have an uh, older brother Alan that would, when he came over he was 18 and he was going to work one day, got robbed on the bus, and he's like me, a kid from England, and he's like, This is crazy. I don't know what the fuck's going on. So he dipped out. He was eighteen. I was only ten, so I didn't really have a choice. He left and he moved back to England with his with his dad up in Newcastle. So but And is he still there? He's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he's what he's seven years older than me now, so he's sixty. So, uh, share some of the, the earliest memories of... Just a lot of always, uh, a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling. Uh, my mom was very violent towards all of us, but for me the most, because um, my dad wasn't a a great guy towards my mom as far as cheating and stuff. He was shady as fuck when it came to that, and... Out, out about gallivanting around doing what he was doing and you know I was his real son like his son and so I would get a lot of the ast- mean biological biological right. you know um, you know he loved my brothers Alan and David like his own but like they knew that he wasn't their real father so there was a little disconnect there and you know just my mom took it out on me when when my dad would come home late or you know, I used to get ass whooping and you're just like your dad, and you know, because she couldn't beat his ass, so I was the next best thing. And it used to, it's still, you know, I I see a therapist now. She's but like, gonna whoop his his genes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like she can't do it to him, so I remind her of him. Mm-hmm. So you know, I got it on a on a regular basis, and and more the. The verbal and the emotional shit is the one that hurts more than a slap That's in the face. That's what everybody says, yeah. who was beaten as yeah. well as—talk uh, talk about that. My mom just had a way of uh, just talking to me and telling me to shut up and, and just, like, nasty, nasty shit. And, uh, yeah, for 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 someone to say that to me, especially my mom, somebody that I loved— it's still like to this day if people tell me to shut up, I have a gut reaction to kind of do something and say something and yeah, I'd rather get smacked in the mouth and told to shut up or like I I wasn't good enough or keep quiet or you know. Would she say things you know she you
1: mentioned that she talked about you're just like your father would she um what were some of the greatest hits of ways she would put you down? You said she shut up.
0: Shut up. She would tell me uh, at a young age that uh I'm going to beat my kids and beat my wife, and uh, I wish you were never born, you're a mistake. Like, just the craziest fucked up shit. And I'm literally four or five, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it, it I, I, I see a therapist I have been for a few years, shout out to Renee Brooks, awesome therapist, and like, You know, to this day, I struggle with getting the approval of a woman, you know, just trying to please my mom and and stuff like that. Even with my sister or or close female friends, if there's like if somebody doesn't text me back fast enough, I'm not good enough and they don't love me. And I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And what did I do wrong? And my sister, who I love dearly, I'm super close with. She's like, bro, chill the fuck out. I love you. I'm watching it program with my boyfriend, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, 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 you're right, you do love me. I figure. But those scars run deep. And um, uh, you know, my mom come to find out later on that she was sex sexually abused as a child. But you know, my my dad went through some crazy shit with his father, who was a raging alcoholic and beat his mom and shit like that. But my dad was born in nineteen thirty, my mom was born in nineteen forty their way of dealing it, Polly, was shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and deal with it. You don't talk about your problems. You, you don't tell your kids you love them. Yeah, and it's like, so that went on for a number of years. But yeah, just uh, yeah, the beatings. My mom used to. Was your mom? Uh, what what
1: social class was she from? England? Was she working class? Very,
0: very much so. Working class. Okay. Her her her. Uh, her stepfather, that she was with, uh, Bill, for for a number of years when when her her mom remarried. He was a coal miner in in okay. the north of England, and yeah, you know, uh, hardworking blue collar. You know, my mom was uh, a Denny's waitress for thirty three years. You know, in so, Florida, in Florida, yeah, and uh, yeah. We, so we come from that that kind of background, like you know my dad like i said was military but my mom was yeah working class
1: and so uh pick up the the thread where you you were talking about um the the verbal went went deeper than...
0: yeah yeah i mean my mom had a way about her that was just very venom like she could with her mouth say something like really crazy hurtful stuff but you know it was such a crazy household to grow up in because she would say those things and then five minutes later so what do you want for tea son like just Mm -hmm. and it was like that so often that it became normal Mm -hmm. like the hideous shit that she could say but then in the same you know and very protective of us but To anybody else, but she would be the one that does the most. But if somebody else, she would like, oh, don't talk to my children like that. And, you know, just a kid asking for candy in a store like a kid does, you know, I'd get smacked across the face for it and like very public and she wouldn't give a shit about humiliating you and just had no sense of what that does to kids when, when you, you know, and if I see somebody do that in public, it. Drives me crazy. And I've walked okay. up to people before and said, do that again. So when they turn 18, they're going to beat the shit out of you. Because, yeah, it's just insane that, like, it freaks me out that you can bring somebody into this world that is your own child and mm-hmm. that you can speak to them in such a way. Like, you know, not to jump off topic, but, like, you know, I never had kids. And my sisters, like, do you think in some way me and you are so fucked up about our past that we kind of didn't want to, even though in my heart of hearts I thought that cycle would end with me as far as the right. violence and the, you know, because me, Paulie, like words cut so much deeper than actual physical strikes for me. You know, I have a big issue with feeling disrespected and, you know, indignation, you know, my, indignation, I had to look it up, perceived wrong against mm-hmm. me or somebody that I care about, I have to put on my cape and fly around and halt. You are wrong, and I have to let you know. And you know, it's that's a, pretty exhausting. Oh, you think being the world's yeah. the world's teacher. You know, as you were as you were describing
1: the way you, the, that your mom kind of viewed you and, and treated you, I, I got the feeling that she almost looked as you, at, at you as if you
0: were a possession of hers that was faulty. Uh, That's a perfect way to describe that because I used to be so confused about my mom would show my brother Alan and David what I felt like more love, more compassion, but to me not. And I understand that that wasn't their real father, but I was her real son. I came from your womb like Mm -hmm. David and Alan and Monique did, but for some reason because of the actual, like, crazy relationship she had with my dad, again, uh, mm-hmm. come from his loin, so she looks at me and sees my father, I think that's where, you know, when when the anger would come up, it'd be aimed towards me, because she really wanted to strike strike out against my father, but she couldn't. I, I also think
1: that um, there is, you know, perhaps a, a subconscious thing that goes on with parents whose children are genetically a part of them that is different than the children who are not genetically a part mm-hmm. of them whether it's favoring them or being harder yeah. uh, on them it it seems um that seems to be the the case when and my brother was adopted yeah. and I was not and people um as as adults would remark to me, that your mom so clearly favors you. My dad, it was very, mm. very even, but he and my mom did not get along, and I kind of became the golden child because I just let her yeah. do what what she wanted to do. But um, I could never really see that, but it's amazing how somebody can come in for five minutes and sum up a family <laughs>
0: better than... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, yeah, it was... It was uh... A very, very crazy childhood, you know, brother in prison, father in prison, mom. What was your dad in prison for? He, in 1981, he got busted with uh, him and about 30, 40 other guys getting 25,000 pounds of weed off of a boat in Miami. And he said FBI agents came out from everywhere. He was older at the time and he ended up doing like 18 months at Egland uh, Federal Prison by uh, Fort Walton in Florida for about a year and a half, two years. So when my dad was gone, because I was very close to my father growing up, very close because I, I distinctly remember as a kid my mom and dad fighting, my mom not wanting to sleep with my dad in his bed. So she would go in my room, kick me out, so that I have to go and sleep in my dad's bed. Right. So you know and just my dad had a great sense of humor you know, my you know i don't want to come as, my dad was a motherfucker like he did a, a lot of fucked up shit to my mom you know cheating on her the adultery all that kind of stuff the 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 older i got and the older he got you know he changed his ways and him mm-hmm. and him and my mom With all the craziness and everything, they loved each other a lot. But it was a fucking, you, I mean, you look up dysfunction and it was us. Chaotic's not too strong of a word. Fuck, no. (laughs) Chaotic, no. I mean, you know, and I I don't want to sit here and just beat up my mom, but she did some, my mom, uh, God rest her soul, she, she had a hysterectomy after my sister and never got, the hormones and everything that you need to take to replace that. She just didn't like the way they made her feel. So my mom, at the drop of a hat, would go from smiling to trying to fucking kill you. She threw a butcher knife through a window one time at my brother, Alan, who had told her to fuck off when he was like 17. And the, 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 the knife went through the window, didn't shatter the window and nicked him in the back as he shut the door. And the fucking wow. neighbors are coming over, and my mom's like, well, it just slipped out of my hand. That is just, you know. A sample. Just a sample of, like, like, can you imagine that? Like, back in the 70s in England, it was nuts anyway. But, like, yeah, when when my mom, when it went, it went, and all hell went with it. So you, I always would try to keep her somewhat calm. But, like, somebody, unfortunately, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to get some, you know, professional help. And I think that that would have helped my mom out a lot. But she's old school. I'm good. Don't worry about me. You know, kept all her money in envelopes under the bed and would pay the bills like that. I'm like, mom, you know, put it in the bank or, you know, but she was just the way she was very hardworking lady. And, you know, as the years went on, especially towards the end, you know, we became very close. But yeah, she fucked me up for a lot of years. It's stuff that I'm still dealing with,
1: you know? One of the things that Stevie and I talked about a lot when she was dying, the the last couple of years yeah. of her life, was um, the complicated feelings you had, <laughs> because you wanted to do right by her, but you also had this kind of unprocessed rage. Talk talk about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh... Unfortunately, I lost my father in 2016, and uh, yeah, that was just a crazy—I called you mm-hmm. when, when I was at home, because, you know, me and you have mommy issues, as we like to say, yeah. and, uh, you know, like, from everything that I I've told you about my mom, you know, she— when my dad passed away and and she wanted to stay in the house by herself and then she had fell and broke her wrist. And I'm like me and my sister uh, Monique, uh, were like, you know, mom, you can't be out in Florida by yourself. It's just not, you know, and my mom's very independent, hardworking and all that shit. But we finally got her to come out. I had to go to Florida for five weeks and deal with her. And my sister came out and dealt with the house. She was amazing. And, uh, You know, because my family was poly, like, so, so mom and dad, when you guys die, how, what's going on? Do you have wills? Do you have, when I die, he gets it. And when he dies, I get it. What the fuck does that mean? That was just it. It's just like, you know. You guys figure it out. Deal with it. My dad was Puerto Rican and he just. You do for your family. You don't fucking say a word. Like my father, before he passed away, wanted me and my sister to move back to Kissimmee, Florida. And I grew up there, but there's nothing there. It's the land of Disney and all-you-can-eat buffets. And I wanted more out of my life. And I'm like, I'm not fucking moving back here, Pop. Come to California with me and my sister, and you and Mom will get set up. You guys got money, you're good. But he didn't want to do that. And so when he passed and then, you know, my mom kind of needed me. Now all of a sudden, I'm the favorite son and I love you so much and this and that. And yeah. It but she fuck- would
1: also turn on you In when you fucking- were taking care of her. Some of the shit you would
0: share with me. In a fucking heartbeat. Just flip out. But like, you know, me and my mom would talk to each other in a certain way there was a lot of humor there but there was also a lot of disrespect on both sides i I, you know didn't take the high road a lot of fucking times i was a nut job but like yeah just oh son this and you know helping me out and you're my favorite and whatever but like the the rage that would come up because now all of a sudden i'm your favorite but you don't think I remember when you sat on my chest and beat the fuck out of me Telling me that you wish I was never born It's like It's hard to let that shit go And I've heard from professionals That like when someone is at that End of stage life If you can get an outside agency to help Because there's so much fucking baggage That comes with that Pauly I had uh Came home and I was on a red eye And I was just Absolutely exhausted Up for like 48 54 hours straight. My mom's in the hospital. I'm dealing with her, her head spinning. She doesn't know what's going on. I finally fucking put my head down to sleep and I hear the screaming and I run into my mom's room and I'm like, what, what? And she goes, do we have any chocolate in the fridge? (laughs) Paul, I went fucking nuts. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like I'm running out of bed thinking you're dying, and you're asking me for chocolate, like it just there was no boundaries I remember that one, yeah, there was no boundaries, and yeah, so yeah it was it was tough, and we've you know towards the end, through you know the help of my uh my sponsor and the support group and my therapist and everything me and my mom were cool. But there was a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff that I buried down. Didn't even know, and you know that's when the like the panic attack kind of. Well, let's, let's let's segue into that. Okay. Do you remember the day? Describe describe the day. <laughs> Do I remember the day? Do you remember when I said, "Pauly, can I come stay with you? I don't want to be by myself." You're like, "Sure, buddy. I got an extra room. I'll always love you for that. I appreciate that so much." Uh. It was november thirtieth, twenty twenty. I had just started seeing Renee, my therapist, lovely, lovely, awesome lady, and we were starting to touch up on some mom stuff. And Renee's like we gotta we gotta go deep, you know, and um I said okay, we started going deep. And Renee had told me if you don't go deep and you don't figure this shit out and work through it. Emotionally, mentally, that it will turn around and bite you physically. And I'm like, she didn't maybe say that as it was happening. She told me about that afterwards. That like if you don't handle stuff that's going right. on, you will physically feel it. So I'm super active. I mm-hmm. work out every day. I hike. I love my job. I'm outside. Excuse me. I am about to drive to Runyon Canyon and do a quick hike before I go to work. Mm-hmm. I take some multivitamins. My dumbass is like, "Oh, I didn't take any today. The other day, so I'll double up today." Bad move, because one of the multivitamins had niacin in it. Excuse me. What and niacin can kind of amp you up. Oh, yeah, sometimes. What niacin can do is make you flushed. Mm-hmm. Your face gets red. Your heart starts racing. And I don't know what it was, Paulie, but it was like the perfect storm. I'm getting in my car, driving, I I just get out of my street, and something hits me, like the niacin, the whatever, I took too many multivitamins, they just kicked in at the same time, and I'm like, holy fuck, I am having a heart attack right here. My heart is just, my face, I'm like, oh my god, this is not fucking happening to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know to call nine one one. I don't know whether to drive to an emergency room. There's a lady on a bike. I'm screaming at her like to help me. She's looking at me like I'm fucking nuts. Yeah, you're in in, in Hollywood. Yeah,
1: which is so much
0: untreated yes. mental illness. Yes. With with yeah, and I just people when when I when I tell you that I have never in my entire life suffered from anything like this at all. As a matter of fact, which I'm not uh, proud to say, I used to judge people that would say they Mm -hmm. have panic attacks and this and that, and and my thing was, it's in their head, go for a run, and it's bullshit. And I'd like to apologize to the universe for having that view, because that thing turned around and said, okay, really motherfucker, you (laughs) want to go for a run? So... I don't, I'm just driving. My heart is coming out of my, what am I going to do? I'm. They're going to find me dead in this fucking car. I can't believe I'm going out like this. I'm so healthy. Why is this happening to me? So I call 911, but I have my Florida number. So it gets me to a 911 in Miami. Oh, wow. And I'm like, no, I'm in fucking LA. I'm having a heart attack. They like have to transfer me to a LA number they call me. The guy was like, listen, where you at? Stay there. I'm like, I think I'm having a heart attack. He's like, we can come to you. We come to you. Stay there. Don't move. And for 20 seconds, I'm like, I got calm for a split second. And I'm like, there is a, a an ER. It was St. Joseph's there in Burbank. I said, I can make it there. So I my GPS was on and I'm two and a half miles away and I'm flooring it. And I'm just watching the GPS, two and a half, two, 1.5, and I'm like, I'm going to drop dead before I get to this fucking hospital. And so I get there, the guy's Valley, Hey, sir, what's your know? I'm like, I'm fucking dying, bro. I'll fill that shit out later. Like, it was just insane. And I kind of yelled at the nurse. I apologized to her later on. I was just scared fucking shitless. I've never, ever had a situation like that. And in my soul, I thought I was having a heart attack. So... I don't know if you know, when when you have a heart attack, your body secretes a a, a protein that can be picked up in a blood test. So they did the blood test. They did chest x-rays. Now, mind you, it's the middle of fucking COVID, November 2020. And there are people in the emergency room coughing everywhere, this and that. They do the chest x-ray. They come back. They did an EKG, came back negative. Again, I'm fucking super healthy. But in my mind, something had happened. And so the the protein test came back. They're like, listen, you did not have a heart attack. You're okay. And I'm like, okay. Now, I went in the waiting room just to wait for the chest x-rays to make sure there wasn't nothing going on. I was there four hours, people coughing all around me. I'm like, fuck this. I'm out of here. And I left. Now, leaving the hospital... There was part of me that was, was your like, your cart still racing when you left the hospital?" No, or had it had come it, down. It had come down, but there was something that had switched in my mind right then, Paulie. That like, I either had a heart attack or I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and is it going to happen again? And so I was kind of waiting for that thing to happen again. I remember I had went to my job, and we we're allowed to play on Mondays, and I played nine holes with the boys. But every time I went down to the hole to pick up the ball, I got dizzy and I was I was like what's that about? I just I something didn't feel right. So the first night after that, I had called my sister while I was in the ER and uh you know, I'd I'd went home and uh I slept okay the first night. I'd mm-hmm. maybe got up for 30 40 minutes, but just this You know me, Paulie. Happy go lucky, funny Mm -hmm. dude that loves his life. Is super happy most of the time. A lot of gratitude. Gets
1: disrespected and wants to kill.
0: Yes, I have that side of me too. Not everybody's perfect, but like somebody that is honestly just like a person that enjoys his life, knows what he's been through, and is happy and loves his friends and loves his job. Something switched in me then that, like, now I was scared about what I didn't know because, you know, I I have a history of drug abuse. Well, heroin was my drug of choice, and when I was going through my withdrawals with that, it sucked, but I knew what it was. Right. When it's in your fucking head and you don't know what is going on, so... The first night I slept okay. And and you've been sober how long from heroin? 22 years. 22 years. 21 years at the time, sorry. Okay. And so I was like, the next night came about, and then I realized, oh man, I'm not hungry. I didn't want to eat today, which is not me. I'm a slim guy, but I eat a lot. And I'm noticing I didn't want to feel like I wanted to play golf, and I didn't want to watch some documentaries on YouTube or buy some Nikes on the app, like everything that I love to do. I'm just like, and, and Tiffany, my, my lovely neighbor, saw me sitting on my stool, and she's like, what's going on, Steve? And I'm like, I don't know if I had a panic attack. And from that night forward till about six or seven nights, I did not sleep one wink, and it was brutal. When you don't sleep for an extended period of time and all those people out there that say just stay awake, your your body will eventually go to sleep is not how it works. Your mind races. I was within two or three days I'm going to lose my job at the golf course. Pauly and the boys are going to come find me on Skid Row. I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment. They're going to come take the money. Like All this silly shit. Because when I would try to close my uh, my eyes at night, I would have a million thoughts, non-sequential, non—they mm-hmm. made no sense at all. And so I just—I couldn't sleep. And that sleep turned into one, into two, into three, into four, into six days. I lost 15, 18 pounds. I did not know what the fuck was going on, and it was the worst— experience of my entire life
1: yeah buddy we were we were worried about you we were worried about you but you know one of the things that's so awesome about support groups and the group of friends that can form there is we don't hide shit we don't hide shit and um you didn't pull any punches letting us know that you were afraid for your life that
0: that you were I yeah, I'm one of uh something in me, I am not scared to ask for help, and i'm I'm blessed in the fact that I don't, and sometimes that can be a a, a hindrance too because sometimes I let too many people know what's going on, mm-hmm. and it can be you know thirteen people trying to give me advice, so I've learned to curtail that in some way, but like. No, I'm a big believer in, like, no one can help you if they don't know what's going on with you. So, you know, you, Thomas, Hike, Punchy, uh, all the boys, uh, Big Joe, everybody that, you know, because at at first I didn't know what was going on. I went to a doctor who wasn't really a psychiatrist, and even though he had the best interest at heart, he kind of— He was an MD, Yes, he was an MD, and he put me on something that— Prior to that, years ago, they had put me on trazodone and I didn't have a good reaction to it. And again, he was a nice guy, but he, and just in my case, we went and did some paperwork and he had come up with this conclusion that I was bipolar. And probably because you hadn't slept in multiple days, he you probably went, he, Oh, he's experiencing he, mania. Yeah, he, listen. Do am I pretty excitable at times? Sure. Am I a little high? Rank? Yeah, like I'm on coffee all the time. Yes. Could you say I'm a little manic? Maybe. But the dropping and the coming down. No, no, it's Same. not me. you have been always even. even yeah. pretty even keeled. Yeah, and I like you know I'm a loud guy and I'm boisterous and I have fun and and I'm very loving and that kind of stuff. But I, I am not bipolar. It's just not who I am. And again, anybody out there that is that, I do not judge. Now
1: they know that. You know they what I'm know so- that.
0: And it's like but for me I don't think I was that and being told that in that kind of way kind of fucked me up and I didn't understand it. And and I, you know, I was new to getting help for mental stuff. I had never really dealt with it. But like again, like I said before, you stuff everything down and like, you know, I and again Renee Brooks was amazing through this whole thing. And I would call her, and she's like, I feel a little responsible because we started to go deep, and sometimes, Steve, this happens. And, you know, and she told me one time, you know, after a few months, and we'll go back, but a few months after I'd got out of it, she's like, you know, if we go go back there again, it could happen again. I'm like, well, guess what? We're not going back, <laughs> Paulie. It was so fucking brutal that for me to possibly reignite what was going on in my mind—no, it wasn't. Well, I remember,
1: that was your biggest fear. It was the um, it? It was almost as if you were having a panic attack, anticipating another panic attack. Hundred percent perfect. Which way I of, guess happens of, a lot, and also with people with pure O. Uh, which is uh, obsessive thinking about something is, and
0: that's probably me. Am I? I'm, can I be obsessive about things? Sure, but that—that that was it. Like, it fucked me up so bad the first panic attack that if I took a sip of water or I was breathing and I, and now and I, there it is again. It's happening again, and like I'd be at a red light and I'm like, quick, turn green before I have another pen. And I was just feeding into it because again, you don't know what it is because you've never experienced yeah. it before. So, you know, I love you forever for this, even though, you know, you're just a great guy as it is. But when I was hurting at the meeting and, and like you said, I was scaring a lot of people because you're talking about a guy that's, Pauly will, you know, attest to this, happy-go-lucky, smiling, laughing, and then just to be sitting there and like, you could see the, the, my face was sucked in. I've lost... Fifteen pounds, you know, on my frame that you can tell, and uh, a couple of guys were like, "Yeah, we're really concerned." But Paulie, I'm like, I don't want. To, I just shared to the group, I don't know what the fuck's going on with me. I'm fucked up, and I don't want to be alone. And Paulie said, "Well, Stevie, I have a spare room in my house, and I came and stayed with him for a night, and he was amazing, and so was Gracie, his dog, and you know, Thomas, another good friend. He was. He has a big family, and." It was COVID, and he didn't want me coming over the house because it was scared. But he opened up his gallery to me, and sat there, slept there, and he—I was on the couch, and he had one of these rockaway beds that he has. He has a beautiful furniture studio, and he's been a guest. Thomas Hayes, yeah, yeah. and uh, he would just call over to me every thirty minutes, "Hey, bud, you doing okay?" And, And like, I will forever be indebted to him, and you, and all the guys hike. Was amazing and just you know and and to hear me share, people like didn't know because they're like this guy has twenty two years. He sounds so new and frail because I was fucked up and and but this was you know this, this stuff. Isn't in the literature for the support group because it's not about addiction. This is about, I don't know, trauma. And I used to be, you know, one of these guys that like, you know, let's not talk about. No, you talk about whatever the fuck fuck you need to. And now I'm like, if I hear a guy, you know me now, Pauly. If I I see a guy saying he's issued with mental illness and he's. I put my hand up and said, buddy, talk to me after the meeting. I've been there. And all I can do is I give him a hug and say, it's going to get better. You can figure it out. And, you know, I was lucky enough. And, again, I don't want to put that doctor down that tried to help me. It just it wasn't a good fit. Uh, with the help of Thomas, I got connected with uh, another psychiatrist, Esther Ween. Uh, we had a Zoom meeting. Esther is a psychiatrist. She's not... She's about the meat and potatoes. There's no fucking fluff. I'm not there to talk about my feelings. Mm-hmm. She is there to figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing and what is going on with me. And, and I said the main thing, because I didn't understand it. They're like, you're depressed. I'm like, I'm not depressed. I just can't sleep. And they're like, okay, insomnia turns to depression. Turns to and Insomnia turns to anxiety. Anxiety turns into depression. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Because I again, I was ignorant. I, I thought there was a stigma, stigma with me being having a panic attack or something wrong with me mentally, and don't you know who I am, or I think I am. I'm 22 years and clean and sober. I work out every day. This shouldn't happen to me, but it fucking did. It kicked me right in the nuts, and I had to deal with it, and Esther, we, we met via Zoom, and I told her what was going on, and... uh you know, she's like, so you're having trouble sleeping and you have uh, these racing thoughts that are from no sequence and just, yeah. And I said, yeah. And so she put me on a drug called Seroquel. And I was very, very lucky because I know trying to get hooked up with the right drugs can be a challenge. But It's very me, hit or miss because each yes, person's different. Yes, and mm. the, the other doctor put me on some stuff that I did not— agree with me you know and and you know going back a bit i remember jeff old jeff Mm -hmm. called me when i was staying here and he's like i heard you going through it and you know i very much everybody reached out and all that but you know i i told you paulie the the drugs that i'm on right now is i just don't feel right i called i called uh I was on Medi-Cal at the time, and I went through them to try to see somebody, and unfortunately, it was just a fuck show. There was a person behind the counter that just should have not been in that position, didn't seem to care about what... Because I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't want to commit suicide. I've never been that person, but I'm in a dark place. I thought it was uh, the drug that I got put on, the trazodone, had Mm -hmm. that kind of effect on me. So when that was taken away slowly I got I wasn't better but I didn't have that dark place I don't know what the fuck's going on I just couldn't sleep and I was scared kind of shit so she put me on Seroquel and uh it took me a couple of days but then I got acclimated to it and it was just it saved my life you guys saved my life the rooms um getting the proper help and uh so yeah, I was I was on that for about six or seven months, and I started to be able to sleep again. And when you finally get seven, eight hours of sleep, and your body can rest, and you can start thinking about stuff logically, and you know, I went back to Renee, and we We went over some stuff, and, you know, I started journaling, and, you know, my sister through this whole thing was amazing. You know, I haven't haven't talked about her, but she's... Growing up, we weren't that close. I was an asshole, according to her. You know, my parents, my mom treated me a certain way. I treated my sister a certain way, but over the last few years, we have gotten really close, and I love her dearly with all my heart. And she said, even though I've hated you to go through this, this has changed something you knew that like, it's amazing to see. And it has brought us so much closer. So, you know, yeah, you always want to try to find a silver lining and a thing like that. She's like, I would never want you to go through that, but you have turned in a way where I am more empathetic and more compassionate and more, you know, so yeah, I was on the Seroquel for six or seven months. Uh, I discussed coming lower dose i uh Seroquil, i believe in smaller doses is used for has a sedative effect mm-hmm. and then the higher doses are for people that are having actual like uh, like like situations where they're manic and mm-hmm. things going off but like I was the highest dose I think I was on is for like two hundred milligrams and then i i uh I, I lessen the dose. But being in our support group for so long, I had this stigma that I you know, I shouldn't be taking anything and self imposed stigma oh, because my God. none of
1: us were thinking that. No.
0: Me, we just wanted the me best for and, you. and yeah. I yeah, and I had some friends like you know, I heard somebody say this to me once. If one of your good friends couldn't take care of himself and you had to give him his medication. Would you give it to him as prescribed? And I'm like, Of course. Why wouldn't, then why the fuck wouldn't you do it for yourself? Because they're like, Take two every five hours. I'm like, oh, I should only take one because two, I feel like I'm fucking up and I'm a drug addict again. Like all this silly, yeah. silly shit. And yeah, there was a point in time where before I, uh, I'm going back a bit, before I got with Esther, the psychiatrist, I did not know what was going on, and I was taking uh, Xanax for about three weeks, and I didn't like that at all, but I have a good friend named Javi Diaz in Miami who's a doctor, and he's like, listen, I respect your program, but I'm telling you as a doctor, if you don't fucking sleep, the damage that you're going to do to yourself, so take these for now, get some sleep, get some rest in a couple of weeks, try to get with somebody, figure out what's going on. So I did that, you know, because in our support group, it's scary. You don't want to hear friends are taking Xanax to sleep, you know, and I had a few people call me up and they're like, like big Joe, you know, Hey, I love you, buddy. I'm just, I'm concerned, I'm not judging, just be careful, you know, and Again, I I don't know what I would have done without you guys and my sister and my friends and you, you just when you have never experienced, like you said, Polly, uncharted waters. I have now. Like my antenna goes up when I hear anybody struggling, mm-hmm. and I like like look, it it sucks, and you think like it's never going to end, but it can get better. So I was on the quill for about six or seven months, and then I slowly weaned myself off and i haven't had to go back under the the care Um, of your psychiatrist. right? in fact i tried to come off of it too quickly excuse me and then i was having trouble sleeping again and she's like look we discussed lowering it we did not discuss coming off of it and i'm like we did you know who she's dealing with i'm like we didn't she's like no we didn't and i'm like okay so i went back up to 50 and then did that for a couple of weeks and then to 25 and then I'm like, I think I'm ready now. And she's like, okay, again, I don't want complete off. I want 25 and then 12 and then Mm -hmm. every other day. And then every third day. And I did it like that. and, And I felt good. And, you know, there was a couple times after that, that like the minute I didn't get like an eight hours of perfect sleep, it's fucking happening again. And, and like, Renee would tell me, "Calm down. It's been one night, but like when you're so affected by that, and yeah. you think it could be coming back again, sure. you kind of, you know, you go there. But
1: y- you know one of the, one of the things I, I want to stress to anybody who's maybe about to get into therapy mm-hmm. or be under the care of a psychiatrist or or you have been for a while is." Think of the analogy of your car isn't working right. You bring it to a mechanic. Why would you not tell him every fucking thing that could possibly help him or her diagnose it? And why we hold shit back from our therapist or our psychiatrist because we think we're going to get
0: judged or
1: we're afraid they're going to – they're the ones that went to school.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Let them do their job. Exactly. And if they don't know all the details – they can't help you correctly because you're missing some big pieces to the puzzle. And Don't be afraid to call them between visits. A hundred percent. I had Renee on speed dial, and she was amazing through the whole fucking thing. And, yeah, I, you know, like back in the day, people would kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow if you were going to therapy now. If, like, I'm on these dating sites and if I see a girl's in therapy I'm like ooh you know I have to talk to her because people that work on themselves is sexy my favorite
1: people yeah my favorite people so where where is the uh kind of the the anger uh you know b- before this uh the thing with the panic attacks the most common if you weren't doing well, the most common thing was somebody had disrespected yeah. you, d- done something that got under your skin, and you didn't necessarily explode on them, but you wanted to. And it would be spinning around in your brain. So I, I, I'd like to know, has working with
0: Renee, oh, thousand helped percent. Help that? Talk about that. Yeah. No, it, it, like, no, I I did, unfortunately, put my hands on people a couple of times, something that I'm not proud of. Uh, usually at work, I work in a, as a caddy, and in the caddy yard, there's some crazy motherfuckers, me included, and you know, it's a kind of crazy environment at times, and people would say stuff that I found offensive, or you know, again, my mom telling me to shut up, or mm-hmm. not letting me talk, or, or being disrespectful for what I thought was being disrespectful, and then if they would not listen to my words, I would then physically, like, not punch anybody in the face, but I'd grab dudes up and, like, you know, assert my, the louder I get, the smarter I think I am, and it's it's the opposite, and, you know, I had a few friends pull me aside and, like, bro, you're 52 years old, and you can't articulate yourself without getting fucking mad, and, you know, Renee's helped with that, you know, our, our support group has helped with that, you know, myself journaling and figuring out, you know, in, in, our, in our support group, you know, they give you, which I feel like is a blueprint for, for life, and when you work your fourth and fifth steps, it shows you why you do the things you do, and so mm-hmm. I have certain triggers that if I'm doing this, it's going to give this effect, or if I... I'm treated this way. I feel this way. So before it gets to that space, move away. You know, like they say, the more years you have in this program, it gives you a, each year is a second. second of pause, which, you know. So now, you know, I, I call my car the no recovery zone because everybody's a fucking <laughs> asshole. This one can't drive. And so if i getting my car and I feel like I'm, pulling out of my driveway and it I oh, fucked it and I'm like whoa don't be this like spiritual guru and then you're flicking off old ladies crossing the street you know it's not a good look so I I kind of I can feel myself getting a certain way and it's sometimes it's just not sleeping good sometimes it's not eating halt mm-hmm. you know hungry angry lonely tired all those things so I can reset um I'm you know proud to say I haven't flipped out on anybody in a while, and and it takes a lot of work, and I'm not a violent person. I can be, but I'm usually a very loving, caring, empathetic, loyal, all those things, but again, I have a self-worth problem. Sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough, just, you know, the, the family that I was raised in, and even though I'm 53, 54, sorry, those scars run deep, and I'm going to be working on myself probably till the rest of my life but I'm I'm okay with that because if I can get a little bit better every day I've I've done good you know
1: and it's and it's interesting yeah you know it's just learning new shit new tools it's interesting you get to look at at the world just from a different angle yeah. every time you have an epiphany or somebody Shows you, hey, have you thought about reacting to a
0: situation like like this? Like this instead. Oh, that works? Yeah. Oh, I don't have to teach that person how to live? Going in the office and telling my boss he's a fucking asshole doesn't work? What do you mean I'm suspended? (laughs) You know? But, yeah, sometimes this is why we have, or I'll keep it for myself, why I have guys in my life that call me on my bullshit because left to my own devices, I will talk myself in and out of anything. Mm-hmm. And if I have a big idea and I run it by you and you're, as I'm telling you it, you're laughing. I'm like, this is not good because you're like, and then when you tell it back to me, I'm like, whoa, I said that? And like, yeah. So I have people around me that love me and trust and I trust and they trust me and we're like, hey, buddy, you might want to try this way or can you look at it like this because I have uh I take everything personally, everything. For example, I could be working in, uh, as a server at a restaurant years ago and the manager would be reprimanding the whole staff or whatever and they're like, no, you're just talking to me. Or I can get 500 compliments and one bad one and I just that's just the one I focus on. And I'm like, you know, so it's in there. And like Renee, sometimes I'll be telling her and i look at her and she's like kind of, not giggling, but I'm like, what's up? And she's like, and you wonder why you turned to drugs, you know, like yeah. Steve, you, you were in a crazy environment. And so even though I've been working on myself for a long time, those things are ingrained deep, deep, deep. And again, I'm not perfect. I try to be empathetic to people. And like I said, uh, the mental health thing is a big one for me and I'm like, when I hear somebody struggling and I'm like, wow, I just, to this day, and this has been now two years, it'll be two years since I've been completely like out of it and doing better and sleep. It's been two years, but it's still, as soon as I hear that and Mm -hmm. someone's saying I'm having trouble sleeping or I have a panic attack, I'm like, again, I'm not forcing myself on them, but Mm -hmm. like, hey, I've been through it. Maybe need somebody to talk to You know, because without you guys and just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known what to do because I was lost. It's weird at fifty three to have something put in your life that you have no Mm -hmm. knowledge about and no. Because there were days where I was like, "Am I gonna fucking be like this for the rest of my life? Am I gonna?" I remember you
1: saying that, and I was just Stevie. Let's just get through (laughs) the next hour.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and some you know we have a saying, you know, just for today, but like sometimes it was just for the hour. And uh Yeah, man. It's uh I've learned a lot about myself and and the people around me and the people that care about me the last 2 3 years and yeah. Yeah, life is a fucking journey for sure. And
1: and anybody that's out there that is in that place where you're like I don't want to burden anybody. I don't want to um What you probably aren't thinking about is that you're giving other people who love you an opportunity to show you that they love you. Mm. And while I was not happy that you were going through what you went through, it did my soul good Mm. to be able to show you how much I love you. Yeah. And that if we don't ask for help, we don't get to give that other person. I know it sounds corny, but that gift
0: no. To it, be able to express love. It was a a fucking wonderful gift of just like you know, like I'm six, two, 200 pounds, I'm not a small guy, you know. But like going through that and like feeling like I'm less of a man or whatever because like I don't want to be alone and that's so we like, what do you mean? You're fucking fifty three, fifty two at the time, like what do you mean? I don't want to be alone. I don't know what the fuck's going to go on with me. And so for the people listening, just let people know where you're at and don't be afraid, you know, because people can't help if they don't know what's going on. And even though things can seem like they'll never going to end or ever get better, they will. And you have to have that faith. And I did. And, you know, I have my... I'm not perfect. As far as the panic attacks and stuff, that has gone away, thank God. But I still struggle with, you know, sometimes getting a little upset or impatient and stuff like that. And I just, it's not a sprint, man. Do you ever think that maybe you get impatient because you're too handsome? Has that ever occurred to you? It, I, I've I've been told that by a few people, but yeah. no, no, <laughs> that's not it at all. <laughs> I love you, pal. I'm so glad we I finally, love you too, we've been Paul. talking about
1: this for a long time. I'm glad we finally made you're this awesome, happen. You're awesome and you're helping a lot of people, Paul. I love you, buddy. And uh, the week after we recorded that, Stevie had insomnia and felt like he was on the verge of another episode of the panic attacks. But thankfully, it subsided and, uh, and he's, doing, he's doing well. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself OK Mario Brother. And uh, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? And uh, he writes, a few months ago, I went by myself to your live event. Uh, I sat at a front table, and this was in uh, Burbank back in uh, either August or September. I sat at a front table and enjoyed it until the end when I decided to fill out one of the blank surveys that were passed around the audience. I thought it was pretty good, but watched as you scanned it, discarded it then read other surveys into the microphone. You suck, screamed the voice in my head for the rest of my, uh, the voice in my head to the rest of my head. Luckily, there's a nice epilogue. I was catching up in your podcast and in the episode you recorded after the event, you read my survey in its entirety. No, you suck, I said to the voice in my head. And the voice in my head shut up for a few minutes. (laughs) I'm glad you got to hear me read your... I, uh, I sometimes feel bad that I I will never be able to read aloud all the surveys that you guys fill out. But I also know that there there is uh, I should say a lot of people feel a benefit just from filling the surveys out because for a lot of them they are things that they've never said out loud or even really admitted to themselves um, or themselves. One of the things that I think is great about journaling and Filling out surveys or just sharing with somebody is things can can kind of an issue or, uh, you know, a memory or something uncomfortable or trauma can be just kind of floating in a nebulous way around our consciousness. But when we have to put it into words to write it down or to share with somebody else, uh, I think in that moment we get more clarity because we have to put it into words. So all of that is my way of saying if I don't read your survey, you can go fuck yourself. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Hamburger Man. Uh, He identifies as straight. He's 40. He uh, says that he was raised in a stable and safe environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? He writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual uh, abuse. Uh, I uh, what are some of your deepest darkest thoughts he writes i spent a lot of time ruminating on mistakes i've made and focusing on the negative um, i have a complicated neurology and mental health history i've been diagnosed with ocd adhd dysthymia generalized anxiety disorder and i'm on the autism spectrum i found out i was autistic later in life and have been looking back at my past in ways where I feel like I failed myself and others around me by not totally understanding my brain and how certain things affect my behavior and reactions. I'm at a decent place now and I'm managing things fairly well through therapy and other helpful practices, but still harbor a lot of intense shame and disappointment for many things in my life. My deepest and darkest thoughts are about myself, that I was just an accident and wasn't meant to be moving from one self-inflicted bad situation to another, and that one day I will be old and alone and nobody will be there with me. Darkest Secrets. Over 10 years ago, I was in a friendship with someone where we blurred some lines together. We would cuddle and lay in bed and be close with each other, but didn't kiss or have any other kind of sexual contact. This became part of our routine and lasted for several weeks. One day, we were cuddling in bed together and I shifted myself on top of her and kissed her. I clearly misread the moment since she didn't want to kiss me back and asked me to stop. I immediately stopped kissing her, but the intensity of my attraction to her was so intense at this point that within 10 seconds or so that this all happened, I ejaculated into my pants. Just feeling her body near mine in a way that we hadn't before was so arousing to me that I couldn't stop or control what was happening. We didn't directly address the issue then or at a later date. She got her things and left politely after I went to the bathroom and cleaned myself up. We stopped being friends after this and lost touch shortly thereafter. I think about this often and feel an immense amount of guilt and shame for what happened. I didn't mean for things to go that way so quickly and without her consent. I feel awful that this is part of my sexual history, but feel even worse when I consider how what happened may have affected her, especially when I wonder if it still affects her now. I have not seen this person in over a decade and have not reached out to her to make amends and to apologize uh, in fear that hearing from me again could trigger her and cause her to relieve any trauma that she may have experienced with me. My feelings of shame and regret are heavy, but I can't justify unburdening myself for my own sake knowing that it's possible that from her perspective, I am the one who perpetrated sexual abuse and may have caused short or long-term harm to her instead of tracking her down and reaching out to her I'm writing this out here so I can put this out to the universe and feel some semblance of closure knowing that someone else out there will hear this I've never verbalized this to anyone and have carried this inside me for years dude you you sound like a like a good man uh, and you clearly have a conscience and you um, I think that's the the. Um, while it's unfortunate that this happened, um, I think you're you're uh, you you are a self aware person, and also you know maybe give yourself a little leeway. The fact that um, I don't think it's that unusual that. The average two people who were friends and are cuddling in bed, that one of them would misread the situation, especially given the fact that you're on the autism spectrum, Um, I think you're being really hard on yourself. Uh, And if you're in therapy or a support group, you might run it by them about um, reaching out to make amends. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I love women's feet, particularly long, thin ones with high arches if i can quote the blues brothers i'm a soul man uh have you shared these things with others i've not shared my experiences as a sexual abuser i think that's kind of a strong word uh to describe what happened um, but i've talked to my therapist and oh okay and other people about my mental health struggles um I've shared my foot fetish with a few partners, but still feel shame bringing it up because I think about how guys with foot fetishes have become an easy joke in TV and movies, and then I will always be seen as a creep before I even have a chance to fully explain what turns me on. I've had a couple of partners who have been completely open to it, though, and those have been some of the most gratifying sexual experiences I've had. I felt truly seen. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel a little tired. But also lighter, grateful. Thank you, man. I'm glad. To, uh, I'm really glad that that you put that into words. This is from the "What has helped you?" survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Nugget. Um. What are your issues or struggles? Uh, I struggle with depression, addiction, obsessive thoughts, isolation, and relationships. I get suicidal thoughts when I feel like someone is going to leave me or replace me. What has helped you deal with them? I use my phone and ask for help. Grounding exercises like going barefoot in the grass or splashing cold water on the face. Also writing a a letter either to myself or someone else and saying what I need to say and keeping it to look back on. What, if anything, have people said or done that has helped you? Oh, we've got high drama going on in the front yard. I got the shutters closed. So this must be a big deal. I'm going to assume that we're under attack and that this is my last moment on earth. But maybe, maybe I'm catastrophizing. Gracie, come here. Uh, What, if anything, have people said or done that's helped you, uh, look at things one day at a time. You're not going to feel like this forever. Be honest and don't let fear of judgment stop you from asking for help. Love it. Great advice. And I love reading uh, some of the tools that you guys come up with so easy to 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 think oh, I know everything and I don't need to try anything new uh, and then just obsess over the fact that we're in this place where we feel stuck and we're uh, restless, irritable, and discontent as they as they say. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself work in progress. Uh, he identifies as... Uh, Gay? Well, he writes, "Uh, I guess I'm gay. I lost after penises. In BDSM, I prefer to serve male dominance. I have much more women uh, as friends than men. I hardly know any gay men. The only person I've really been in love with is my former best female friend who recently broke up with me. Uh, He is in his Fifties, He was raised, he says, in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, Yes, and I never reported it. The last three years of elementary school, age 10 to 12, I was sexually abused by my male teacher. Direct sexual contact never happened. I never saw his dick. I wasn't forced into doing oral sex. I wasn't raped anally or anything like that, but he made me feel extremely unsafe in the classroom for three long years. He always kept an eye on me. I always felt his eye on me. An example, whenever I touched my dick in class, which wasn't seldom, he would notice and make a remark about, is it still attached to your body? With a leering, lustful look in his eyes, at least that's an image that's fixed in my memory. There was much more of this sort of stuff, but this was the one that stands out for me. As I was singled out, it made me feel extremely alone and unsafe. Reinforced what I felt and knew from growing up in a family where there was emotional neglect. I had to fend for myself. I could only rely on myself. I had to be strong. Nothing could get to me. To complicate stuff for my little me uh, further at school trips and camps, Uh, the teacher went a bit further. The last school trip when I was 12 stands out, uh, where during a long walk, the teacher told me about his sexual fantasies. His fantasy involved me as his little slave, kept in his attic, dressed in lace and silk. I did not understand what he was on about, but it did excite me. What makes this last thing complicated for me is that my sexual fantasies and reality still go along these lines. I'm into BSM, BDSM, 100% as a submissive. I'm into feminization and emasculation, so much so that I'm questioning if this thing with my teacher really happened, which it did. Much more happened, but these are sort of two focal points in my memory. Uh, there was also my four year four-year-older sister who abused me sexually when I was about eight years old, I think. Don't remember much about that, except her red bush, her pointy young tits, and maybe her cunt. But I'm not sure, and uh, high five to those of you listening publicly uh, with the speakers on in the car and the windows down. Uh, I'm clean now for four years and in therapy for two and a half, kudos to you, slowly trying to process all that happened. I'm still angry at the teacher, not at my sister. I feel like the teacher stole my chance of discovering my own sexuality uh, from me, twisted and deformed it. I'm not even sure about that. I will never know that was taken from me. He is not sure uh, if he's been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, He writes, uh, I've been seriously emotionally neglected as a kid. I would count neglect as a form of abuse. Uh, My dad was a workaholic and a womanizer. I learned about the womanizing after his death, uh, and he had no time for his two kids. My mother was trying to save a marriage with the man she loved, wanting a career of her own to be active in feminism and politics and raise a family, and really failed in everything. I grew up with a chronically ill mom who had frequent terrible asthma attacks, which was a frightening sound and sight, with a dad who wasn't there, with a family that was falling apart until my parents separated when I was 14. I feel that growing up like this made me not only rely on anyone, made me not rely on anyone but myself. No one is to be trusted. I had to build a wall, build a wall around myself and not let anybody scale it. I'm trying to break down this wall through therapy and self-help. It's slow, tedious, and hard work one day at a time and all that. Any positive experiences with abusers? I guess the abusive teacher was infatuated with me. He favored me in lots of things which I took for granted. Thinking about it now, I despise him even more. Uh, yeah, because that does not come across as kind, that comes across as grooming and, and manipulative. Uh, darkest thoughts. How deep my submissiveness and yearning for giving up all responsibility goes. I'm ashamed I fantasize, and come pretty close to realizing that fantasy too, about total power exchange in a relationship. I'm. It, it's interesting that you use the word responsibility. I did, it, when I say interesting, it had never kind of uh, occurred to me, or maybe I forgot that for many people who— um, have sexual fantasies of being uh submissive at that is that you're giving up all responsibility and there must definitely be a a, a good feeling in that if if you're looking if you're tired of the feeling of responsibility um let's see. darkest secrets Uh, It's a long story, but what it comes down to is that I hung up my cat uh, when I was something like 11 years old. It was an experiment, and it worked, and I cut her loose as soon as I saw it was working, Uh, but it frightened me terribly. I hate cruelty, so I'm still deeply ashamed for that episode, and I've never told anyone the cat got a scare. It was fine otherwise. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Already told most of that uh, before in this survey. Uh, It's BDSM, but it goes beyond just sexual, really. I'm a submissive. I have fantasies. uh, We've done that. I have fantasies about giving. uh, Sharing about this is becoming easier now that I'm in therapy. Here it's easy because it's anonymous. In real life, it is still very hard to talk about it, but I have with a few people, and it helps that I'm not rejected out of hand, which I fear, of course. Of course. I mean, my God. What being rejected for something as intimate, and as deeply personal as what turns us on, yeah, that's, that, uh, that's terrifying. Um, and kudos on, on sharing this even anonymously because there are people who get to that question in this survey and they're like, I can't even type it out. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to say to people why and how I love them. Not that I do love them, because I can do that, but that's just a statement. That's interesting that, that going getting into detail about that is hard for you. I hope you try it, because I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me they love me and then list reasons why, it feels amazing. Other than the voice in my head, which is saying, you're lying or you have low standards. What, if anything, do you wish for? that I wasn't so alone, that I learned how to relax my body, that I dare to fall in love, and I wish that humanity wasn't so fucked up. Yeah, I wonder sometimes, like, what is the purpose of all the pain and all the tragedy and suffering? And I don't know, sometimes I tell myself, well, it's so that we can experience And really deeply feel the opposite of that, the connection, the kindness. Um, But, I don't know. Have you shared these things with others? I'm actually doing pretty well in this respect. Thanks for asking. You made me realize this. Uh, How do you feel after writing this stuff down? I've been thinking about this stuff for many years. I actually like to write about it. It helps anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. You're not alone. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of life. Thanks, buddy. This is an some moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Mightiest Bug. And she writes, I get email updates from my daughter's daycare. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, this, this woman uh, has really bad ADHD. She writes, I get email updates from my daughter's daycare that let me know how she's doing throughout the day. When she first started, they sent one that mentions she's got some great stories in her. I thought, how cute. She must be telling some of her sweet and funny stories. The next day at drop-off, her teacher let me know that her stories are actually just her saying over and over again. Sometimes my mama says, oh shit, where'd I put that? Uh, This is a portion of the survey called uh, How Have You Handled Sexual Advances? And this is filled up by a woman who calls herself Sassafras. And the part I want to read is uh, she writes uh, in answering the question, anything you'd like to share about your history in dealing with sexual advances made on you or anything about your answers that you'd like to clarify? And she writes, yes, I have a theory about women having rape fantasies. I acknowledge that the incident I outlined above may have contributed to mine, but in a broader view, I think it has more to do with how girls are and we're taught to think about our bodies. I'm 48, and maybe, hopefully, what we are teaching young girls is changing now. But when I was a kid, I learned that my needs should always come last, hello, parentification, etc., that I should be desirable to men slash boys, but that having desires and needs was unacceptable, shameful, and slutty. By imagining a scene where control was taken from me, I could justify the sexual things being done to me in the fantasy and give up responsibility for having those desires it gave and gives me the freedom to imagine all the things I desire sexually without me having to be the one who has requested them I still struggle with asking or telling my husband of almost 30 years what I want because it feels so uncomfortable add intense body shame to the equation because being overweight means I am a failure at everything and the result is that I have a healthy sexual relationship with myself and an okay one with my husband I don't know how to change that if something happened to him and I ended up on my own the idea of getting naked in front of anyone else horrifies me I don't know if I could I'm not morbidly obese or anything either it's just that because I'm not perfect No one could possibly accept me the way I am, which, of course, I know is horseshit, but I can't seem to shake that out of my brain. Thank you for that. I love a nice insight, especially when it's based in in personal experience. This is a happy moment uh, filled out by our friend, uh, Mightiest Bug, and uh, she writes... Uh, we finally recently gotten some rain where I live, and I took my toddler-aged daughter outside to dance in the rain and jump in puddles together. Hearing her giggle, seeing her chubby-cheeked, wide-eyed smiles, and watching her prance through the puddles makes my heart flutter with joy. Realizing in those moments that I get the privilege of creating these precious memories with her make me feel grateful to be her mom, grateful to be in the present moment, and grateful to give her a happy and healthy childhood— it feels healing to my own inner child to let go, dance in the rain, and just spend a few minutes being truly carefree. Boy, of all the happy moments I've read, and I've read some great ones, this this is got to be at the at the top of the list. And I I imagine that your kid is probably never going to forget that. And what a what a great way to model not taking ourselves too seriously and not being perfect and that sometimes life is, is messy and you just need to and that there's joy in improvising with the, the messiness. And then finally, there's are some loves from uh, Rhonda. And she writes, I love the sexiness of certain men. I love figuring someone out because of the one thing they said. I love when someone sees me without my having to try. I love and am learning to honor intuition. I love learning a new dance move or word. I love polypockets. I don't know what that is. I got to assume that that's a burlesque dancer. I love cuddling, enveloping the body of someone I love who loves me, even though that may never happen again. I love dogs. I love going to the movies alone, sitting in the center of the back row with a soda. I love Alaskan Sundays, not the day, the, the dessert. I don't know what, oh, is that what a baked Alaska is or is it something else? I love uh, petite bouquets, sunbathing, people from Chicago, people from Ghana, people from Croatia. I love writing and think I'd love performing if I knew how to get over stage fright. You know what? A good way to to might maybe do that is uh, is to take improv classes. I think that might be the easiest way to to get over stage fright because you're not up there by yourself, and there's nothing planned, and it it helps not only to kind of reinforce how cool it can be to be in the moment, and that sometimes the universe just speaks through us. But I just think it's a great way of kind of dipping the the toe. Uh, into performing. Uh, I love my ex uh, who is taken. I'm calmed by the memory of his care. I love the friends I haven't seen in over 15 years. I love that I can turn anger into understanding and art when I try. I love Barbie bright colors and I love a home decorated in darker blues. I love organizing things and styling people. I love being kind. I love making my dad laugh. And I love your podcast. That's the only reason I read that, is to make myself look good. Thank you for those. Those are awesome. And you really come across as like a a seeker. I love seekers. If you're out there and you're suffering you're feeling stuck start by instead of talking mean to yourself maybe just try starting to root for yourself as if you were someone else that, that you cared about cheesy as that sounds that that does that helps me sometimes instead of piling the shame and the shoulda, coulda, wouldas on and um, find your tribe man that's where it's at you get to have friends like stevie in your life and uh that to me is i don't know it's feels feels like that's what it's it's all about but just never forget you're not alone and thanks for listening
0: everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful fucked, fucked up in some weird way everybody i know is bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up, up in some weird way